Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team swing and a drive right field and deep that goes Aquino it's got a chance gone get out the tape measure long gone fly the W Cubs fans it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean all right, welcome in to another edition of Fly the W. I'm Dustin Rhodes with 670 The Score and the Mully and Haw Show. And joining me, as always, is Paul Crawley Jean. Absolutely. Great to have you back again, Crawley. Hope you're having a great weekend as we get into Season 1, Episode 2 here on Fly the W. And the first thing we want to get to is the Cubs unable to seal the deal. And it started with, let's go into the Reds' Cubs series, right? So they had they had won a couple of games, looked pretty good. The offense was the offense was rolling, and then all of a sudden, game three, Cubs dropped that one, four to three. David Ross was run for the first time this year, got his money was worth. He was upset with the umpires after a, a war of words, if you will, between Wicks and and Votto and. Hunter Strickland and Patrick Wisdom involved. So, Crawley, let's start at that game, the game they lost 4-3. to three. What was your reaction to them falling to the Reds 4-3? to three? Well, you know, they had the 2 nothing lead. We were flying high recording that first episode. Here we go. And then, and then all of a sudden, uh, they get out to an early lead thanks to Chris Morrell and as a leadoff guy who's just been so great. But then uh, Hendricks just – he always struggles at the Great American Ballpark – and he just couldn't contain Joey Votto, who couldn't hit until the Cubs come into town, which is par for the course. And uh, I think he had three RBIs. So they had a lead and they just couldn't hold it, which was frustrating. That whole uh, Wicks-Votto thing was weird. Uh, Votto did a bat flip on a walk, which kind of had Wicks. <laughs> make some comments. You know. I mean, come on. Have you ever seen a bat flip on a walk? Right. And so, and so Wick's like kind of giving him a, what the heck, dude, what, what are you, what are you doing? And, and Votto just kind of was, I think, feeling chippy. And so the next inning, Hunter Strickland, who's always been a jerk, he 96 miles per hour hits Patrick wisdom in the shoulder. That's up there, man, at 96. Okay. You know, if you want to retaliate and I'm not a big retaliation type of guy, you could really hurt someone, but you know how to do it. You do behind them, right in the butt, something like that in the thigh, you don't go up and in at 96. If, if he's saying it was an accident, well, then don't throw inside if you can't control 96. That's dangerous. And, and, and what Ross was like is like Ross was upset because 
he's letting these guys jaw. He's let, he, they let this escalate way too much. And I think David Ross was on the right on that one. Uh, absolutely. Get- Ross was, Ross was totally, absolutely 100% right. And I don't know that Vado went up to Hunter Strickland or anything, but there might've been a wink and a nod. Uh, Joey Vado was definitely involved. And even if he wasn't involved, he was thrilled that Hunter Strickland did the dirty work for him. Yeah. It, it, you know, I'm disappointed because Joey Votto is one of those guys you tend to like as a ball player, but this was just, this was Bush league in my opinion. I, I don't, I didn't like it at all. You know, whatever, whatever, however it goes. But the next game on May 26, that was the one. That what are you doing? You lose 20 to five. Missed all extra right? point by the Reds. Missed extra point. But you sit here and, and when you start taking a look at historic losses I mean, that's the most runs since they've allowed 21 runs to the Phillies at Veteran Stadium. We're going back to Veteran Stadium on July 3rd, 1999. All right. And so the other unique thing is that if you remember on April 23rd of this season, the Cubs scored 21 against the Pirates. And Cubs historian Ed Hardick notes it's the first time the Cubs have scored and allowed 20 runs in a game in the same season since 1987, which uh, other than Andre Dawson's MVP year, Cubs finished in dead last. So not, not a good thing. No, that was definitely not, not a good thing. So what does that tell us, Crowley? When, when a team is able to score 20 one day and allow 20 plus another day, I mean, is it just that the Cubs are mediocre at best? Is it just one of those games back on the 26 that you just flush it? I mean, what, what does that say about the Cubs? that they're just a wildly inconsistent team and you do not know what you're going to get day in, day out. You know, it, it, it's, there's a lot when, when they look good, they look good, but when they look bad, they look really bad. And it's almost like there's no in between. And when you see some of these games, I'm very concerned. Uh, I, I don't know what's going on with the coaching staff. I see a lot of little things. And if you're not a team full of all-stars, which the Cubs clearly are not a team full of all-stars, then you have to be not making dumb mistakes which I see this team make a lot of defensive lapses base running mistakes we're going to get into the White Sox series but you can't let wild pitches bass balls missing cutoff man I see a lot of that with this team and so if this is the team that you're rolling with you 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 can't have these mistakes constantly happening you know you didn't give up 20 runs because you made a couple mistakes but I've just seen it too many times where where you give the other team extra outs in the innings where you let guys get to first to third, things like that, that just should not be happening. When you say that, and I totally agree with everything you're saying, is that the inexperience? Is that David Ross and his coaching staff? I mean, who, who do you, is that the roster construction? Is that that the Ricketts wouldn't give enough money to Hoyer? So it's on the Rickett. Like who, who do you point a thumb at on that one? All of the above, I would say. But, uh, you know, again, you don't have the players. You didn't spend. So, I mean, obviously the talent is not as high as if you had, say, uh, Carlos Correa playing short. How many times have we seen the Nico Horner, Ian Happ thing where the ball falls in the middle and nobody's calling it and nobody knows? That's how they got hurt, okay? And I keep seeing that happen. And I, I, the amount of, like I said, base running mistakes. Everyone's going to make them now and then. And I think sometimes they're trying to be maybe a bit overly aggressive. But somebody's got to pull them aside and say, "Okay, be smart about it. Get your head up. You know, pay attention to what your 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 base coach is telling you. 
it just it that, those are the things that I see that that I think is they're really trying to try hard, but in doing so, it's causing them to make silly mistakes. Now, those were the first four games between the Cubs and the Reds so far this season, if I remember right. Correct? Yeah, that they were so. I think they're supposed to open up with the Reds to begin the season, and then that got bumped with the lockout. And then I know they play a whole bunch more at the end. So right. Well, uh, August eleventh, we have that Field of Dreams game between the two sides. So that will be interesting if that game is worth a darn for everybody in the world to see. Um, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. And how about I thought that things would calm down between the two teams, but on the twenty six in that twenty to five route, there was still some more bad blood. People were getting hit by pitches. I think this is something that's going to carry through every time these two teams get together. Oh, absolutely. For whatever reason, I I just, I still find it bizarre that uh, the the walk bad flip, how this all started, but uh, yeah, there may still be some bad blood and, and, and I don't think anything's going to happen at the field of dreams games. But when you talk about the end of the season and both of these teams, I'm going to safely predict are not going to have anything to play for. Maybe very interesting to see that uh, there may be some, you know, and it's a frustrating, nobody likes losing, you know what I mean? And both of these teams have had their fair share of losing this year and bad games. I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens, especially, like I said, I think they play six, seven games at the very tail end of the season. Right, and part of Votto's uh, red-assness in that game might have been the fact that he's having one of his worst years so far, as you pointed out a few minutes ago, um, found his stroke against the Cubs, but he's been really bad so far. Do you think that Contreras was out of line when he flipped his bat? Do you think that kind of fanned the flames and then he gets plunked later? Or do you think, hey, listen, I, I flipped the bat. At least I flip it when I get a home run, not a walk. Yeah, you know, we'll, you know, I don't think I'm not, I'm, I'm pro bat flip if you hit a home run. If you know you've hit it out there, I don't have a problem with it. With a walk, that's kind of silly. And oh, it's so, know, it's I know so minor league. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, you and can't, so, like, Wilson. Can't flip on a walk. <laughs> if Wilson's going to, you know, Wilson being Wilson, and he sits close to the plate, I, I, I don't know. You know, Wilson's one of those guys that we love to have on our team, but I know he's. Every time I mention him on Twitter, I'll have all sorts of Brewers fans and Cardinals fans and everybody jumping in our mentions. So, however it is, it is, man. I just, you just don't want to see anyone hurt over this stupidity. Right. Nobody gets hurt. There's too much money. These guys are paid way too much, and you can't afford these guys to not be around. All right. Let's shift gears, Crawley. Something that the Cubs fans, at least this Cub fan, and I know you do too, look forward to every year is the Crosstown Classic. So, this edition, two games. Saturday and Sunday over at 35th and Shields. And as I had hoped and begged and pleaded on season one, episode one of our podcast, just don't get swept. And the Cubs did not get swept. They came out, got to Johnny Cueto early and often, and they won that one five to one Saturday night over at 35th and Shields. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a really exciting game. Uh, you know, what, what can you say about Keegan Thompson? You know, how, how long until he is just deemed a starter? I mean, that was five innings of one run ball against a very, you know, say what you will. I know the White Sox have been a disappointing team for the most part of this year, uh, but, but they still got hitters. And, and, and I thought Keegan looked really solid out there, giving up one run only. Yeah, he was, he was fantastic. I guess it's just a good problem to have. This is somebody that we're going to find out whether or not he should be a starter, a bullpen guy. I, I just hope 
he's a guy that I really want the Cubs to hang on to, to not, um, to not let get away. So I'm hoping that that, that is the case. Um, I think, I think it's interesting at the beginning of the game, you know, Chris Morrell gets on and ends up scoring. He had a, he had one hit and two walks and uh, wisdom and Schwindel, who we talked about in uh, season one, episode one, they had two RBIs each. Um, but I, I, God, I really like Morrell setting the table at the top. I was a little nervous. You know what I mean? Here's a guy who skips triple a, right. He, he basically comes up from Tennessee and all of a sudden has just really not seemed like the moments overwhelmed him. And we all know the problem the Cubs have had at the leadoff, man. I mean, you, you know, you go back to Dexter Fowler before that, you go to half a season of Kenny Lofton before that you go to Bobby Dernier. You know what I mean? It's a, uh, it's been, it's been an issue for the Cubs for many, many years. And I don't want to put too much on this kid, but he just the smile that he has and his infectiousness, that was, it was great to see the game and, and you wanted one win. I wanted one win, but then I got greedy, Dustin. I, I got greedy when it came to game two. <laughs> yeah. Another, and, and I'll tell you good for Chicago. They packed that place. They had over 38,000 for both games yesterday. Spectacular day. For a baseball game, right? I mean, you couldn't you couldn't ask for any better. It was no very low humidity. Everybody expected um, the ball to be flying out of 35th and Shields, and it was quite the opposite. So one run, Cubs get a run on a basically on an error, right? They 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 got they got the run on on basically an error, and yeah. they could not hold on to the lead. Take us take us through take us through the Cubs blowing that lead, Crowley. Marcus Stroman, you know, he, he was starting to warm up and he was looking really good. I think he had a good game against Atlanta, quality start, looked great against the Brewers. And then he got COVID. You're going, ah, oh, Jesus. So, so he's on the COVID list. And then he's kind of, you know, his first start right off the uh, injury list was okay. But he came out in this game and just absolutely shut the White, White Sox down. He went seven innings of shutout ball. And as you were mentioning earlier, the Cubs get a run uh, on a Jake Berger error. And, you know, Dylan Cease was going toe-to-toe with uh, Stroman as well. So when you look at their lines, Stroman went seven innings. He doesn't give up a run. Uh, Cease goes seven innings. He doesn't give up an earned run. So you got a one nothing lead. Everything's looking good. And now you get to the bottom of the – you get to the uh, top of the ninth. And I'm watching this. And you get a leadoff double by Frank Schwindel. Way to go, Frank the Tank. And this off Liam Hendricks. Uh, Clint Frazier, who just comes off the IL, is – uh, put it third and there's no outs and he ends up getting to third base. I don't remember if it was a wild pitcher pass ball. So now you got a runner at third, no outs, one, nothing lead in the ninth inning. Wisdom strikes out swinging Ortega strikes out looking and then Horner grounds out. And I'm watching this and I'm going, Oh God, I hate that's a momentum shift. I don't care what yep. you say. Absolutely. Then, shift you had a chance to add on and you couldn't put a fly ball in the outfield you couldn't hit a ground ball to the opposite side to second it was unreal and so you know now you get to the bottom of the ninth David Robertson pitching he gets the first outs you know and now uh Gavin Sheets it's a double that wasn't anything crazy it wasn't like he pounded the ball he just beat the shift and then Adam Angles hits a oops check swing infield single 
moves Sheets to third, and then you got a wild pitch, which allows the pinch runner AJ Pollock to tie the AJ Pollock to tie the game. But you know that was really on Higgins. You know, you as a reliever have to know that if you're going to put something in the dirt like a slider, as a catcher, you cannot let that get past you. Yeah, absolutely right. I, I can't believe that they actually called it a wild pitch. I, I thought it should have been a pass ball. I mean, Robertson was like almost like walking, re-watching the video and the highlights of that, or the lowlights in this case, it looked like he just thought the guy was out. He thought it was over. And all of a sudden that ball, and they've got too much room behind home plate and the backstop there, 35th and Shields, that ball was bouncing all over the place. So it was easy for them to get to. So, you know, Wilson Contreras or Gomes, that doesn't happen, right? This guy, Higgins has no business being at the major league level right now, but he's up there because of injuries. Right. And, and that's, and that's where it hurts you. And like I said, you can't be a pitcher, just gro- grooving fastballs in there. You have to be able to throw whatever and feel confident that your catcher is going to stop the ball. So now we go into extras and the Cubs score again, you know, we got Nico starting at second, which is a great guy. You got that runner on second rule. So he made the f- last out. So Higgins bunts, and then Ronaldo Lopez is all over the place, makes an error, and, and it allows uh, Nico to score, and the Cubs are up 2-1. And then Chris Morrell, and I'm saying his name often, he singles to drive in an insurance run, and the Cubs are up 3-1. Great. Everybody's happy. Cub fans are happy. Let's be more specific. But then when you get to the bottom of the inning, Efros is in, and Efros pitched the night before, and he pitched really well. And I don't know, you had Harrison start on second, and then Danny Mendick singles, Vaughn has a sack fly, Berger walks. And then this is where I, I put this one on David Ross here, okay? I've been watched enough of these Cubs-White Sox series in my life, but especially over the last however many, you know, last five or six years, you do not let Jose Abreu beat you, okay? No, nope. so- he, he, he owns, he absolutely owns the Cubs in this series, owns them. Right. So you got a runner at first and then with the sack after the sack fly, then you walk Berger and now you got first and second with Abreu up. And I would have tried to set up for the double play, you know, because Abreu singles, then Grandal Grandal flies out and Pollock flies out. You know what I mean? I would have rather faced those two guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. You, you nailed it. I mean, I could not have agreed with you more. And so that this one, to me, I put this on Ross. I, I, I think that that was poor bullpen management. You don't let Abreu beat you. Let Grandal or Pollock beat you. And if that's it, tip the hat. But, but to, there's certain guys you just circle, you know what I mean? And when it comes to Cubs-White Sox, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I can pretty much safely say Jose Abreu is a guy that has the Cubs number. Absolutely. Before let's, let's finish out the game. And then I want, I've got a question that I want to, that I want to hit you up with before we move any farther. So we get to the, now we're in the 11th, Hap's on second, he steals third, he scores on a sack, uh, Riva sack, fly Cubs are up 4-3, Gesellman comes in, Robert Gesellman, you have Pollock on second leading off the inning, and Ingles second, and then there's a bizarre play where Lori Garcia got called out on batter interference, it looked like the White Sox won, but that, that was one of those classic weird Cubs-White Sox moments. Uh, you get to the top of the 12th, the Cubs don't score, and that's when you know it's over. Uh, Mendick on second, ground out by Vaughn, moves him over. And then Jake Berger, who was responsible with the air for the first run, gets to be the hero and uh, gets a single, and the White Sox walk it off 5-4 to four after, at the bottom of 12th. 
Right. Now, at least for, I will say this. It was wildly entertaining. It was a great pitching matchup. And then it was wildly entertaining. So that, that, that I'll, okay. Um, overall, before we get into the, the, what I want to talk to you about with the extra innings, this series in general, do you like four games, two at one park, two at the other? Do you, do you find it bizarre that both teams on a holiday weekend were off on a Friday? There was no baseball in Chicago on a Friday of a holiday weekend. I don't like even game series at all. I don't like two games. I don't like four games. You know what I mean? And so for me, it's kind of, you know, that old saying, you know, it ties like kissing your sister. It's no good to me. Give me three games and let me know who wins the series. I don't like two or four game series at all. I would rather that every team play six days a week and get Monday off. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just have everybody off. Right. You know, the other thing about it is I don't like that they play in each other's parks because of interleague play. And because of that, this, the rivalry, it, it kind of softens it a little bit. I think the hype would be so much better if it was three games at one side of town or the other, and then we'll see you next year. It, be, it, be- it, I just think that would amp it up a little bit. And it's so early. I mean, they, they've now played each other before Memorial Day. We're recording this on Memorial Day, and they're done playing each other. And I think that's bad because I think that's something that the fans do have to look forward to. I think you could have played them early, but then maybe towards the end of July would have been better. I don't understand why they played so close together. It makes no sense. And like you said, a lot of times these teams look different, you know, after the trade deadline, you know? So sometimes you catch a team when they're hot, sometimes when they're not. Whoever makes a schedule at MLB is just absolutely awful. It's the worst thing. Like, why would you play Arizona one weekend and then the next weekend? It makes a lot of this stuff doesn't make any sense. And when you have these, these, these are games that obviously big networks with whoever has the TV rights, whether it's ESPN, whether it's Fox, whether it's whatever Apple, or, you know, you got YouTube. Now you got all these big uh, TV contract dollars. These are, premier games and you want them to be in summertime in the Chicago. You could have one at the end of June and August spread it out that way. And you know, like all the great things that the TVs are going to show, like the people playing bags at White Sox park, the people out at Gallagher way or on the rooftops at Wrigley, all the great things. I was at that game, the first Cub Sox game, freezing my butt off with wind and the ice. And, and, and it was just miserable. It wasn't even, it's not even baseball weather. And so I don't know who's in charge of making the schedules, but this has been going on for years where they just do an awful job. Right. Or if you're going to play it four times, like in the teams are obviously both in town for that, obviously maybe you play every other day at each park, maybe you play four games. Maybe they should have played Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or maybe they should have played Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday with the holiday and every other game at each park, just something to get like, let's get creative baseball. Let's, just not be stuck in the mud and do something a little bit interesting and do it for the fans. All right. Before we get away from the Cubs Sox series, and it's not just about the Cubs Sox. I really like to know what's your opinion of the runner on second and extra inning games. It's so I'm kind of torn on this one. Some people say it's not real baseball. I get it. But as somebody that goes to a lot of games, like sometimes you sit there to like 16, 17 inning games that's really, really long. So it does get the action jump started. 
Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in between on it. I, I don't think it's the worst rule. It's not the first new rule that I would get rid of. Um, I'm okay with it. Uh, that would be the way I'd probably look at it. I absolutely love it. I, baseball needs all the action it can get. And the amount of money they pay these pitchers nowadays as well, you can't afford to burn these guys out. And that's exactly what would happen. I mean, that was a really exciting hour of baseball after a one nothing nine inning game that if you like pitching was fantastic. If you like hitting, it wasn't great. I, I enjoyed it even with the lack of hitting because the Cubs had the one nothing lead and Stroman, as you pointed out, looked fantastic. But I really like the runner on second in regular season games. Of course, I would not suggest this for a postseason game and, and baseball hasn't done that. And that's where the, as you mentioned, um, it's not real baseball. People come out of the woodwork on that one. But for this, I thought it was great. People were running around. You had guys bunting. You had strategy. You had guys sack flying. You guys had stealing bases. I like that. You saw some older school baseball techniques going on in a game to get that guy that was already on second to start over to third and get that run going. So I think it's I think it's absolutely fantastic. I hope that's something that uh, that does stick around. Another thing we're talking about today on the Fly the W podcast, and don't forget you can check us out on all the social media platforms, Fly the W, is somebody that Crowley's talked about at least two or three times so far in the first half hour we've been talking, and that's Christopher Morell. Um, he's basically can play every position on the field, except probably catcher, and you could bat him anywhere in the lineup. But now, Crowley, now that you have seen this guy at the top of the order and in center field, if you were David Ross or if you were Jed Hoyer, what would you do with Morrell? How would you use him for the remainder of the season? You know, I, I like what he's doing in leadoff and center. And, you know, the question you always have with young guys that come up is the league's going to try to figure you out. Are they going to figure this guy out and make the adjustment? I don't know, but I love the passion and the energy that he brings right now. He has reached safely in each of his first 11 games. All right. He's hit leadoff each of the team's last four games and reached safely each time, right? And so he has a seventh game hitting streak dating back to May 20th. So second Cub this season uh, to reach safely in his first 10 major league games joining Seiya Suzuki. So I love this kid. I don't know how you could bring him down. You know, I know I've heard people talk about him being, uh, you know, put in a Zobris type role where he can just play every, every day, but in different spots on the field, whether you need to play him at short, whether you need to play him at second, at center. He's got a very good arm. Uh, he's, he's fast, so as a leadoff guy, he can get on and he can steal bases. It's amazing. I don't know what's going to happen because, you know, there's a lot of Cubs that have been on the injured list. There's a lot of Cubs that are going to be coming uh, that are on rehab assignments. So I don't know what the plan is. I just don't understand how, I hate to say punish, but I mean, like, how can you tell a kid that has an 11-game on base streak, uh, you know, leading off, you're going back to the minors. I mean, I mean, if, if, if you, you know, when you're talking about just the, you know, what you've done to earn a spot, he's checked every single box. Yeah, he has checked every single box. I personally, I don't mind the idea of him playing multiple positions, but I like the idea of seeing if he can actually settle in and get comfortable in that leadoff spot. I, I unless there's an injury, um, he should be in there every day, but I do like the idea of him playing different positions because there's a lot of positions on this team that you don't know 
who the future guy is. You don't know who the guy at second base is. Nick Madrigal going to be the answer right now. I could say, eh, I, I don't think so. I don't know that Nick Matt, he hasn't proven it to us yet. Right. That he is the guy. Um, so we'll have to, uh, we'll have to wait and see, but I love the idea of Morel in that spot uh, for the remainder of the year, but we've got to look at some of these young guys, Crawley. So you had mentioned uh, before we'd started talking about the lineup They're They're playing the Brewers this afternoon on Memorial day as we're taking care of this episode for you guys. And there are some guys in this lineup and you're like, who, what, where, who, who are, who are these guys? And you've got guys like David Bodie. Um, you've got guys like Jan Gomes. You've got guys like, hmm, the guy who delivered the speech with his shirt off for the World Series. You know, wh- what are you doing when these guys are healthy, Crowley? What are you doing with these guys? Who, who are you going to have play? Who are you sending back down? Or do you just, I mean, what do you do with David Bodie? He's a guy, like, I don't mind David Bodie, but do you need David Bodie? D- David Bodie's definitely not part of the next great Cubs team. No. And so, you know, Jonathan VR just went on the 10 days. So that's an infield spot that opens up. But like you said, Clint Frazier was just put on the roster. Do you want to take a look at him? You got, it's just like you have all of these infielders and outfielders, but, and this is part of the problem that we talked about before. It's hard to get a team to gel when you don't know who's going to be starting and getting any kind of consistency going. So that's where it becomes complicated. You know, what if Clint Frazier, who's a blue chip, who has a blue chip prospect for New York had a change of scenery, you know, where's he going to get playing time at? You know, I, I believe uh, he's in the lineup today playing left field. So he had right. And so you're looking at what do we have? Is Ian Happ part of the next great Cubs team? Is he going to be the bridge guy? What well, not a bridge guy, but the guy that the connecting tissue from the old, to the new, you know what I mean? And so I don't know, but, but you, you have Jason Hayward, you have Seiya Suzuki who is out with that dislocated finger. And so you have, you know, what, what's going to happen now we have Nelson Velasquez who was just called up today. Who's been tearing it up. And what if all of a sudden this guy comes, it's hard to tell. Right. If he's hot, if he's hot, if he's hot, 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 how do you get, how do you send him back? Like the same conversation we just had about Morel. Why not let this guy try to, settle in and figure it out. I, I guess that's the question. Does, does Jason Hayward outside of injury ever start for the Cubs again? And, and, and that's the tough call right there. I mean, he is owed. I mean, not just a little money, a lot of money. I want to say over 40 million over the next couple of years. That's a, that's very painful. If you're the one writing the checks to have to uh, swallow there, but uh, I don't see how, I mean, you have this outfield situation where you know that you've given Seiya the commitment in right field, right? And then yeah, Ian Happ. Yeah, I mean, listen, Seiya Suzuki better be the, the Cubs right fielder for the next eight years. Right. And, and you know, you're, he's going to be there for at least the next five. So you got, you, you know, you got Seiya Suzuki there. Hap is someone you really think probably is going to take left. So that leaves one infield spot for a whole lot of guys. Jason Hayward, Rafael Ortega, Clint Frazier, uh, you know, everybody that we've, you know, morale that we've talked about, how many starts can these guys truly get? Even if you cut Hayward, it's going to be difficult to really kind of see what it is exactly you got there. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of guys and we just don't know who's who or what's what, but yeah, I want to see, I want to see Frazier in the lineup more often. I want to see Velasquez. Let's see what happens. I mean, I think 
you're not Higgins is going to be gone once uh, Jan Gomes is right. You're going to do that. But then like David Bodie, I mean, where, where's David Bodie going to play? So he's going to, is he going to play third? You're going to, are you going to sit Patrick wisdom and not have him play third base? So David Bodie can get some reps. Yeah. I, I just, I don't, Bodie's the one that honestly, the contract's not, uh, it's not that bad to eat. If you're going to eat one, you'd probably prefer to eat Bodie's contract. Uh, I just don't see, you know, you got wisdom and wisdom a lot cheaper than Bodie. Uh, I, you know, as far as salary, I, I just, you know, and, and what's wisdom done, you know, after that rough start, he's looking really good. He's hitting extra base hits. He provides very good defense at third base. And then the other place you could play Bodie is second, but the future of that is Nick magical. It's supposed to be right. It's supposed to be Nick magical. You could have Chris Morrell play there and, and, you know, or you could have Nico. They're pretty committed with Nico at short is what we've seen. I think they have finally decided that, right. They are going to, they are going to give him a shot for at least the remainder of this season to play shortstop basically every day. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, when you take a look at, you know, I think with Nelson Velasquez, because of his lack of experience and all of a sudden he's just kind of come out of nowhere, you know, you don't know if that's going to, you know, stay. I think Velasquez will be somebody that's called down. And so that kind of lightens, you know, lightens up the log jam a little bit, but there's, it's still very confusing. And like I said, when you have different guys playing every day, you don't, just don't have the consistency. And so like when you're talking about your double play tandem or you talk about those plays when the outfielder's coming in and the infielder's coming out, those type of things, it gets a little bit tricky. And so, you know, it, it's where are we going with this? You know what I mean? And, and, you know, knowing the fact that the Cubs did not sign a bunch of high priced, high, ta- high price tagged uh, free agent signings, then eat some money, I guess. Then if you have that within your budget, you know? Right. Right. I mean, listen, you, you have to pay Hayward no matter what, whether you play him another game or not, you, you have to play him. And unless he is teaching some of these younger guys, something in the dugout on the field before the game, after the game, during the game, I, I just don't understand why you'd want him around taking reps away from guys that um, need to learn. And I don't think anybody's running out to Wrigley field to see Jason Hayward play and you, a fan would be upset. And again, don't, I don't want to pile on Jason Hayward. I don't want that to be the case. He, he seems like a really great guy, like a hell of a teammate. It's just, he's just not a good baseball player right now. Right. And, and, and you have to figure out what you got here. That's the whole point. That is the whole point of this season. It's not to win games. I hate to say it. That's what we wish it was. Right. I'm fly the W, right, Crowley? I mean, come on. We're here for fly the W. <laughs> Why? There's going to be, you know, we're going to try to fly it as much as possible. But but let's say the dirty R word, rebuild. You got to know what you got. You already know what you have in David Bodie and Jason Hayward. You already know that that's not going to be part of the next Cubs team. So who is? And that's so, what you have to figure out. So speaking of that dirty R word, rebuild, Crowley, you had an opportunity to talk to a guy who has his eyes and ears on the Cubs youth movement. Tell the, uh, tell the listeners a little bit about who they're going to hear you talk to. So if you've been paying attention to Cubs minor league baseball, and I'm doing it in case you don't want to, uh, the minors is where the action is happening. So on Fly the W, we're going to have different guests coming on, different interviews. And our very first interview I thought was kind of, uh, I wanted to go with Sam Weirhoff, who is the play-by-play man for your Myrtle Beach Pelicans. 
So for those who are not aware, you know, there's four levels of minor league ball, uh, low A, high A, double A, triple A, and then the big club, right? So the Myrtle Beach Pelicans are uh, in South Carolina, obviously, and they are a the best minor league team in baseball right now. And so this interview with Sam that you're about to hear, we're going to talk a little bit about some of, of the young studs down there, names that you are going to hear. And I, I, I hate to say this because I loved Darvish, because I loved Rizzo, because I loved Bryant and Bias, but some of the return on some of these guys may help ease that pain because there are some studs down there that I have a feeling we're going to see a Wrigley Field in a couple of years. So Sam's going to kind of walk us through this and, and tell us what, what's been going on in Myrtle beach. And honestly, if you're looking for a family vacation, I don't know if there's a better place to go to Myrtle beach. And right now I would try to get down there as quick as possible before these guys move to the next level of minor league ball. All righty. We have our first guest on uh, fly the W you will catch him doing play-by-play -play for the Myrtle Beach Pelicans. We have with us Sam Wiederhoft. How are you, Sam? I'm great, man. Thanks for having me on, and uh, it's an honor to be the first guest on the show. Well, you know, I, right now for Cub fans, it's just been kind of a tough up-and-down season, but what I keep telling people is the future looks bright, and we really wanted to get some of the minor league play-by-play -play guys in here to kind of tell us what they're seeing, to give us hope for the future, and Sam there's no better place to start with Myrtle Beach. Tell us about the Myrtle Beach Pelicans this year. Oh, my gosh. I mean, where do you start with, with the Pelicans this year, man? It's been an incredible season, 32-12 uh, and 12 at the time of recording this, and just got done with a 12-game winning streak. I mean, just the guys that are playing here right now are just meshing together so well, and it's showing on the field. It's been the most exciting baseball I've ever called, and, I mean, you're right, Crawley. The, the future is, is very bright, and it's starting here in Myrtle Beach with – uh, you know, obviously Pete Crow Armstrong and James Triantos and Kevin Alcantara. Uh, it, it's been so fun to watch, and uh, I can't wait to continue to watch these guys develop. And so, like we talked about before, you, you know, you, you mentioned three names there, and, and I have a feeling in the future people are going to be shocked that those three guys were in the same lineup batting one, two, three. Let's kind of break down what we have right now when we have uh, – let, let's start with uh, uh, James Triantos. Let's start with James there. He was a draft pick of the Cubs, Yeah. Yeah, second round pick last year out of high school. And I saw him in spring training, and I mean, like, he just looks like a ball player, like right out of central casting. What can fans expect when you see James Triantos? What does he bring to the table? I mean, he's so young, but he's such a smart kid at the plate. Um, you know, plate discipline is really not an issue with him. Um, and talking with our hitting coach, Stephen Polakov, like he said that his problem isn't his pitch selection, but just choosing the right pitches that he wants to hit because he knows that he can hit uh, just about any pitch that's that's given to him in the zone. So it's just choosing the right pitches to kind of drive and working on that power. But James has been such a fun player to watch right now. He's on a a thirty game on base streak as of right now. I believe a sixteen or seventeen game sixteen or seventeen game hitting streak. Uh, just such a fun player to watch. His contact is incredible. Now just working on kind of driving gap to gap and looking for a little bit more of that power. But um, the defense has been great so far at third base, and he's just such a fun young player to watch. Uh, at third base so far this year and a great two or three spot hitter so far for the Pelicans. All right. And you also mentioned, let's go with uh, Kevin Alcantara uh, picked up in the Anthony Rizzo trade. Yeah. Uh, Kevin's been, he's been another fun guy to watch this year, another young gun, um, but batting in that three, four spot in our lineup and his power is just so jumpy off that bat. I mean, he gets a hold of one and that thing goes um, he's got a long swing, but once he makes contact, I mean, he's got a lot of power. So 
He's still got a little bit more develop, development to do. He strikes out uh, not at a huge rate, but, um, you know, still working on that pitch develop or that uh, plate to plate discipline um, at the plate. But no, Kevin's been a great player to watch and, uh, you know, just excited to where that just to see where that power can take him because the Carolina League has always been known uh, as a pitcher's league and especially Pelicans ballpark is a very pitcher friendly ballpark. Um, so just seeing Kevin uh, kind of outside of that area and, and seeing where his power goes uh, has been fun to watch so far this year. And now let's get to the, to the big name right here. Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, they got him from the New York Mets. And from what I'm hearing, New York Mets scouts are absolutely livid that they let this guy go. Uh, and I believe he's now in the, in the top 100 prospects in all of baseball. So that has got to be exciting to watch. Yeah, number 97 by MLB Pipeline. He's all the way up to number three in the Cubs system by MLB Pipeline. I mean, he's just been absolutely incredible. And I've heard that the Cubs have been really uh, shocked in a good way that he's playing so well after his uh, torn labrum, the shoulder surgery last year, or two years ago. No, it was last year um, in the Mets organization. Just the way he's been able to come back from that um, and just hit so well. I mean, the guy does not strike out a lot, and he's a very aggressive hitter. You'll see him hitting the first or second pitches of the at-bat all the time. And when he, when he again, when he makes contact, that ball goes pretty far. So he's been showing power. Uh, the bat-to-ball skills are definitely there. And then defensively, he's made some good catches in center field too. So no surprise to see him break the top 100 in MLB pipeline. Not sure how much longer we're going to have him here in Myrtle Beach, but I'm trying to enjoy it while we do and seeing him play day in and day out. But Pete Cor Armstrong is going to be a name that Chicago Cubs fans are going to want to hear are going to be hearing for a long time. That's for sure. And, and, and so Sam, here's the thing for me is that when I take a look at the Cubs history, their players, the weakest they've ever done, as far as when you think about who are the all time greats by position is center field. I mean, like, you know, you had Bobby Dernier at the end of the career. You had uh, Kenny Lofton as a rental. You had, uh, you know, Jerome Walton rookie of the year, but not much after. So it's like, you can't think in the modern game, like, you know, tell me a great Cub center fielder. And it's just, it's not there. And so, you know, I'm hoping that if it's going to be Pete Crow Armstrong or I don't know who, but, but you know, just right now for Cub fans, there's just so much excitement uh, when you hear Pete Crow Armstrong's name. Yeah. And I think he can definitely be that guy. And just talking to Pete personally, I mean, he's super excited to one day get up and play for the Chicago, Chicago Cubs and play at Wrigley field and another thing about PCA is that his the fire that he plays plays with and the emotion that he plays with on the field is just something that I've never seen before. He's very passionate, a very competitive player, um, and he loves the organization. You know, when he was traded, he said he was a little bit shocked uh, when he was going from the Mets to the Cubs, but he's fallen in love with this organization and uh, done extremely well so far. So I, I cannot wait to see him rise up the ranks, and he's definitely going to be a guy that – uh, can be that stable center fielder up in Chicago in a couple of years. Uh, it, I mean, it, it's so fun to think about. And when you talk about, uh, you know, when you make those trades and you get, I hope he really wants to stick it to the Mets so that every time the Cubs play the Mets, you know, cause here's what we gotta do. You know, we trade the Cubs traded Eloy Jimenez to the white Sox, And it seems like every damn time the Cubs play the Sox, Eloy is hitting bombs and, and, and it's just like, Oh God, just a reminder. Yeah. And so I just hope it goes the other way. I hope that when PCA does come up to Chicago, that he's able to just destroy the Mets and just wants to kind of show them what they let go of. You know what I mean? Well, no, you're exactly right. I mean, he has told me that, you know, he's still friends with a lot of guys in that Mets organization. 
um, you know, he was their first round pick in 2020. So he was right into the fire, um, still knows a lot of those guys, still keeps up with them. But, uh, you know, one thing he definitely, he told me that when he found out he was traded for Javier Baez, he was like, I think my hard work is finally starting to pay off here because if that's what the Cubs are getting in return, then I think I'm definitely doing something right. And that was kind of what, what got him going. And he's proving that here in single a in 2022. Now, last time I checked, I mean, the Myrtle beach Pelicans had the best record in all of minor league baseball. I don't know if that's still the case, but I mean, you know, you just have those three guys that we talked about, who would you say is maybe under the radar that, the name's not as big, but someone that Cup fans should really kind of pay attention to because could be someone that could be a, a breakout star in the future. I mean, the cool thing about this 2022 Pelicans team, at least in the first half, is just there's so many guys that are playing so well. And so there's a big, you know, selection to choose from when you ask that question. Um, I would go with B.J. Murray. And Murray was a late-round draft pick by the Cubs last year, coming out of Florida Atlantic. Um, had a really good 2021 college season. He was second-team Conference USA didn't really have a lot of expectations. He played in Arizona last year to finish off 2021 and then came up and started with the Pelicans this year, played about five games and then got injured for uh, a few weeks. But coming off the IL, Murray has been awesome. His OPS is over nine, uh, batting over 300 for the season. And he's reached base, I believe, in 20 of the last 23 games with uh, three home runs and like 10 or 12 doubles, something like that. Like he just has so much pop off the bat. And the cool thing about him is that he's a switch hitter. So um, he's got, he told me he's got a little bit more power from the right side than the left side. Um, but, you know, he's a guy that can play the corner spots. He was a third baseman in college, but he's been learning the first base spot for the Pelicans. And I think the Cubs are trying to, uh, trying to fill him in that spot, but just a really fun player to watch a great guy, very humble, but said he's having the most fun he's ever had playing baseball uh, here in 2022. He comes out of the Bahamas actually, and then went to oh. FAU and he's just been a really fun guy to watch. And, um, you know, if he keeps doing what he's doing, he could break that top 30 Cubs prospects list by the end of the year. Talk to me about Luke Little, because I met Luke Little and 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 the name is not an adept descriptor right there. He is not a little man at all by any means. Absolutely not. And when I met him on media day, he's six, eight. I believe it's got him listed at six, eight. He might be a little bit taller. I'm five, five. Um, so we did a nice little picture. And I mean, that's probably the best picture I ever have because I'm just staring up at him trying to interview him. Uh, but super nice guy. The velocity is incredible. I mean, he's, I don't know if he's reached 100 quite yet this year, but he's been throwing high 90s consistently. Now he is on a pitch limit and an innings limit. So we haven't really seen him go a long ways. I believe his highest is three innings this year. Um, but he's been solid as if coming out of that starter role. I don't know if he'll uh, continue to do that. I think he kind of profiles more as a reliever. So as the, the development goes on, Little could move to that bullpen. But I mean, it's tough to hit a 98, 99 mile an hour fastball when you're seeing that, uh, you know, throughout the game. So he's been a great guy to watch. And then that stuff uh, is getting better with his off speed pitches, too. So uh, just looking forward to seeing little uh, throughout the season and, and how he can develop as a pitcher. But he's gotten a great start so far. That's for sure. You know, the, the thing that we talk about when, when I when I talk to people about the original core that came through and won the World Series for the Cubs in the 2016 that that group of minor leaguers that came through, there was a lot of position players, but not as many pitchers. And, it, it, you know, the more I start to look, the more pitching I do see in the minors. Is there anyone else that you would say in Myrtle Beach that when you watch them pitch, you say, I can see this kid doing something in the major leagues one day? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think the storylines coming into this minor league season in the Cubs organization was how good the South Bend rotation is. 
Um, and don't get me wrong. I mean, they have an incredible rotation, but I think there's been some guys that uh, deserves a little bit more recognition. I mean, Porter Hodge got uh, the minor league pitcher of the month for April in the Cubs organization. Has a, uh, has had a little bit of speed bumps here in May, but is getting better. Um, he's a guy that's just super chill on the mound, but once he gets out there, I mean, he turns into an absolute competitor. Um, got a good fastball, some good off-speed stuff too. And then Luis Devers, I think he was kind of the guy that uh, was the highlight of this rotation coming into this year. He ended with Myrtle Beach last season in the bullpen, now moving to more of a starter role. We knew he was coming back, and he's been awesome so far this year. Um, I think that ERA is just a little bit over two. And uh, his fastball has been looking really nice. So I think Luis Devers, Porter Hodge, those are two guys that uh, Cubs fans are going to want to pay attention to on this Pelicans roster that, you know, wasn't maybe might not have been known for their pitching coming into 2022. But uh, that's just been another part of this team that's helped us uh, be so good this year. Sam, you know, I was out at uh, South Bend this year. I've never been to Myrtle Beach. Tell Cub fans if, if they want to come down and get a little bit of a vacation, see some good baseball. What does Myrtle Beach have to offer? Everything. I don't know what we don't have to offer. I, Myrtle Beach, I'm biased. I think Myrtle Beach is the best location for a minor league baseball team that there is. Uh, a great vacation town, but you got some awesome golf courses, water parks. Of course, you got the beach, some cool bars and restaurants. I mean, there's just everything out here. So you can do all that stuff during the day and then catch up on the uh, the newest Cubs prospects at night and catch a Pelicans game. But, I mean, the weather's just awesome. I was watching some of the uh, South Bend games earlier in april and early may and you know everyone's pretty lathered up and wearing jackets and uh turtlenecks and you know we're out here in 75 80 degree weather taking batting practice with no sleeves i mean it's just that's just how it is here so there's a different vibe here in myrtle beach but it's it's incredibly fun and uh i don't know why you wouldn't want to come down here for a game i gotta tell you sam i i was there opening opening weekend in south bend and i threw out the first pitch which is what was a strike, by the way. I just want to make sure for the record we're aware it was a strike. But, oh, my God, the real feel was 30 degrees. <laughs> it was uh, it was mighty cold. And, and the one thing I remember about Myrtle Beach is you guys got a great pup over there that, can, that, that, that helps get the bats. I'm like, what a good dog. What a good dog you guys have there. And then the other thing I thought about was the, uh, the beer bats. I think you were one yeah. of the first teams I remember that were doing those beer bats. Yeah, well, uh, so the bat dog is Slider, and uh, he's the third bat dog. We've actually had one since the team was uh, founded in 1999. So Slider's the third one. Guy's awesome. I mean, he's out there getting bats. And I tell you who loves Slider, James Triantos. They get along so well, and he loves when Slider comes out and gets the bat after Triantos obviously gets a hit because that's all he does. Um, so Slider's a big part of our show. And, yeah, of course, the beer bats that went viral last year. Uh, you know, the funny thing was – they go viral last year, but we've been selling them since 2019. So that's been a fixture of our games for a while. And I actually have one in my room not too far away. So, uh, I mean, I think we put on the best show in minor league baseball. We got some really cool things and beer bats and slider are two of the things that make Pelicans games so fun to watch. So, Sam, some exciting news for the Myrtle Beach Pelicans and for all the minor league affiliates. Marquee announces that we are going to have some minor league games to watch so we can see what's going on in Myrtle Beach. Tell me about that. Yeah, so that was something that started last year. We got four or five games on marquee last season, and I think it's just, you know, the the way the big league club is going, I think the focus is really coming on toward the minors and and bringing these young guys up and looking forward to a new core uh, for the future of Chicago. So we'll have six games on the marquee sports network, starting off with this Saturday on June 6th, I believe it is, um, against the Delmarva Shorebirds. Six games on there, 
every other affiliate has games on there. I think it's really cool, um, you know, not only as a broadcaster to be able to broadcast on the Marquee Sports Network, but for these players to be introduced to, to Cubs fans watching in Chicago and they get to see them for the first time. And, I mean, I can't wait for fans to watch Pete Crow Armstrong and James Triantos, Kevin Alcantara, Reginald Preciado, um, you know, those guys that make up this Pelicans roster playing on the mothership, on the big Cubs network. It's going to be awesome. So uh, love the love what Marquis doing. We have a great partnership with them and just can't wait to get those games on there the rest of the season. Sam, I really want to thank you for your time. And and for Cub fans that don't follow you, uh, where, where would be the best place to follow you on your socials? Where where, where, where can we, we see some of the stuff that you put out? Yes, sir. My Twitter is at Sam underscore Wiederhaft, and that's W-E-I-D-E-R-H-A-F-T. My Instagram is at Wiederhaft, same spelling, um, and I'm on Facebook as well. So, Crawley, thanks for, thanks for bringing me on, man. I love talking about the Pelicans just because of – uh, you know, how good we've been this year. And uh, again, I appreciate being that first guest. Yeah, like I said, you guys earned it. And, and Sam, I love what you do. And we look forward to having you back on the show again. Thank you so much. I look forward to talking to you again. You're listening to the Fly the W podcast. This is episode two of season one for us. And we just heard about the youth movement with the Cubs. Now we're going to preview a couple of games coming up against the Brewers this week. And then we will be back later on this week to review those and then Crowley. Then I don't know if there's a team that I dislike more than the White Sox, but if there is, it's probably the St. Louis Cardinals who are coming to town for four games. So let's talk about the game today, later today as we're recording this. The game one, a little after 12 o'clock, it's going to start between the Cubs and the Brewers. Yeah, this one is going to be interesting because – both of these pitchers are making their big league, big league debut here. So you're going to have Ethan Small, a left-handed pitcher for Milwaukee, versus Matt Swarmer, which wasn't the name we were hoping to see when we talked about this doubleheader in the last episode. So this is the first time since 1944 that the Cubs are involved in a game with two starters making their debut. It's the first time for the Brewers. It doesn't happen that often. But the interesting thing about this is Swarmer is not on the 40-man roster. And so we're recording this now. I, I, I haven't seen anything pop up as to – I mean, I guess you have the injury to uh, that we just talked about uh, with VR. So I got to take a look. But, you know, that, that becomes interesting. So uh, Swarmer's uh, 28 years old in his sixth pit, uh, season pitching for the Cubs. Uh, he made it to AAA in 2019. They didn't have a season in 2020. So in nine games in 2022, he's three and a one with a 208 ERA, 39 innings pitch and 42 strikeouts. So, I mean, I don't think anyone knows what's going to happen in either of these games. Uh, you may, you know, it, it could be a, it's one of those things that makes you nervous because there's not a lot of data on these guys. Uh, none of the hitters have seen them. So one of these guys, let's see who steps up. That's all you can say, you know? Right. And I'm, I'm curious. I'll, I'll watch. I will listen to Pat and Ron. I'm curious about a, a good young prospect. But what what do you think is behind Killiam not being up here right now? You know what, Dustin? I wish I had the answer to that question because I have been racking in my brain. It doesn't start the clock. You remember that whole Chris Bryant right. thing? You right. start the clock. Doesn't do that. Uh, I, I mean, he's, he's, he's definitely someone you want to think you know, to see for the future. So why not see what you got? Give him some opportunities. And, and here's the other thing is that because it's a doubleheader, you're free to call him up without putting him on the 40 man roster. He can go right back down. It's, it doesn't affect anything. 
and you have another doubleheader coming up against the Cardinals. So it really, there is no logical reason that I could figure out as why he's not going to get the start. Right. And if you're not going to start him against the Brewers, you're certainly not going to bring him up against the Cardinals. It would seem like this would be a little bit easier at home, not the intensity that is Cubs Cardinals. And then in the second game that they're going to shut down Wrigley and they're going to open it up back again at night. Uh, Drew Smiley on the hill for the Cubs. Yeah, Drew Smiley versus Aaron Ashby. Uh, so you got a battle of left-handers here. Um, Smiley hasn't faced the Brewers this season, and we saw Aaron Ashby on opening day. He gave up three hits in a run, but he wasn't starting. That was a Corbin Burns start. So um, if you, we, you know, sometimes you catch teams at the right time. Um, with the Brewers right now, they're kind of banged up. Uh, Woodruff has had an ankle issue, so he's been out. Peralta's had a back issue. They're going to be testing both of these guys, but I don't know if either of them are going to play. Uh, Thursday's game is still TBD, so we don't know how those guys are going to react to injuries. Burns pitched yesterday on Sunday, so he's out. So you're very good chance that you are not facing either of the big three in Woodruff, Peralta, and Burns. So if you're going to face the Milwaukee Brewers, this is the time. If you're going to get some victories, against the Milwaukee Brewers. Here you go. You don't have to face the three-headed monster that they throw out at you. So I'm hoping. But game three, which is on Tuesday, I'm going to be at that game, uh, 7.05 start. But this is a rematch of a game that I went to in Milwaukee, which was not very pretty. It's Eric Lauer. And because the other three guys are so good, Woodruff, Peralta, Burns, Lauer's a guy that's been flying under the radar. He's got a 231 ERA. And he's going to be facing off against Justin Steele. But I saw him in Milwaukee on April 30th. And the Cubs got killed on the 29th. That was the Friday. They got crushed. And then I go in there on the 30th. And Lauer, you pitched seven innings. He gave up one run with 11 Ks. So the Cubs just could not pick him up. And Steele was on the losing end of that game. I think it was 9-1, to one, if my memory serves me correct. I'm no less Grobstein, but... Uh, Steele was on the losing end of that game. That was three innings pitch, seven hits, four runs, two earned, four Ks. Uh, it started out bad because Patrick Wisdom had a really bad error, uh, you know, in third at the first inning, and Steele just all of a sudden kind of got flustered. But it's a rematch, so hopefully the Cubs can, uh, you know, take a look at this and uh, be able to do something to, you know, to make an adjustment to Lauer and hopefully do a lot better than they did last time because last time was awful. I'm really curious to see how Justin Steele performs after the outing he had the time before, which was not so great. So I think this is important because he is a guy that I think is potentially part of the next great Cubs team. Right. You have, you have a bunch of these young pitchers, these starters. I know Edward Alzali has been out and you got Justin Steele, you got Keegan Thompson, uh, you got all sorts of guys. And so, just be, you know, are they starters? I don't know, but that doesn't mean they can't be great relievers either, but you're just trying to figure it out. So Steele needs a big bounce back game uh, after that debacle against the Reds. But again, the great American ballpark's a weird park. It's a, it's a hitter's ballpark. And, and, you know, hopefully he learned a little something there and can come back in Wrigley, but you know, it's going to be a hot, you know, hot couple of days, these next couple of days. So uh, let's see what he does. Absolutely. Well, hey, listen, Crowley, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate everybody listening. I appreciate you guys downloading, subscribing, liking. Remember to follow us on all the social media platforms. That's Fly. The W will be back with you guys later on this week. 
We will recap the entire Brewers Cubs series. We'll get uh, Crawley's view. He'll be out there, out and about. Maybe you'll see him out there. If you do, buy him a beer. And then we will preview Cardinals Cubs. And it doesn't get much better than Cardinals Cubs. So, again, I'm Dustin Rhodes, 670 The Score with Mully and Haw. Check us out 5 to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday. And Crowley and I will be back again later this week. Thanks again for listening. And hopefully the next time we see you, we would have fly the W.